Hello and welcome once again to the weekly inebriated scriptural exegesis and source study, or WISE-ASS, a production of the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast. This week on the show, we'll be covering the Book of Ruth, which I hear is filled with moral lessons and clever double meanings. Enjoy the show! Oh, I'm feeling good about tonight. Book of Ruth. How long do you think? I guess think that'll take. Uh, At least 25 minutes. Really? <laughs> <laughs> At <laughs> least. I don't think we could do it any shorter than 25. I'm I'm leaning closer to to Abby's hour. An hour for the Book of Ruth? <laughs> Holy! <laughs> you said we talked earlier. You fully acknowledged there's a crap load of stuff there. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of books, a lot of lengthy books on the Book of Ruth. Right. I like Ruth. Um, well, let's just start out as, as we usually start out. Um, we'll go from left to right on my screen. Abby, what are you drinking tonight? Um, I have a Trout River Rainbow Red Ale. Oh, nice. Another Vermont speciality. Is that a microbrew? Yeah. Jazz? I'm drinking a Boulevard Pale Ale. All right. Paul? Um, I have a bottle of wine from California. It's the from... The Fetzer Vineyards, and it's a Savignon Blanc, and it's quite good. All right, well, slow down on that. Don't drink the whole bottle. <laughs> I'll try not to. There's a, there's a thing about be ye not drunk with wine in the Bible somewhere. And I was going to yeah. say the exact opposite of Damien. <laughs> <laughs> See if you can't get through the bottle in one, like one recording session. The bottle in one <laughs> setting. That would be impressive. <laughs> and Shelly? A pass. Okay. You'll get a pass this time, uh, and I'm going to distract people from the fact that you passed by noting that I am drinking a beer mosa. <laughs> yes, I'm drinking an actual beer mosa, and yes, I mixed it myself. Well, it's not like you're going to get a recipe for that somewhere. I found one, actually. I posted it on my Facebook just like five minutes ago. Okay. <laughs> you like it that much, huh? It is surprisingly good. I could get totally hooked on, on beer mosas. So I was surprised there weren't as many cocktails made with beer. Yeah, it, it mixes well with wine, oddly enough. And that's not just me talking. Mm. That's my bartender friend, Ben. Ben will back me up on this. Okay, now that we got that part out of the way, the Book of Ruth. You guys uh, spend some time on that? It, it, it didn't take long to read. It did take long to process. How about that? To decode? Yes. Yes, yeah, the last chapter is pretty dense. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I spent all my time just trying to decode what was happening on the threshing floor. <laughs> you would. Of course, but we'll get to that. I, I don't want to skip out ahead. If, uh, somebody want to set it up? What's the what's the story here? <laughs> all right. All right. So, basically, this is during the time of the judges, and an Israelite family from Bethlehem decides to move to Moab, and Naomi... Is it's Elimelech, I believe, and Naomi, and they move to Moab, which is not. I, for some reason, I didn't think Israel and Moab were like I thought they were others, and they weren't. So yeah, funny. they're one of the Transjordan tribes. Okay, they're trannies. Basically. <laughs> in, in there, because there's a famine in Israel or in Bethlehem where they were, where they were. And they end up marrying some two Moabite women, uh, I believe. Well, one of them is named Ruth, and the other one is Orpah. 
it's like yes. Oprah okay. with the Smith the or it's like, yeah, it's like Oprah, but with the kind of a what's that called transposition? Yeah, I'm guessing her mom was trying to say Orpa on the birth certificate. <laughs> I mean Oprah's mom. <laughs> In any case, first the husband dies, mm-hmm. Naomi's husband dies, and then the two sons die. Elimelech dies, and then two sons die. And she's left with, yeah, her daughter-in-law. Her, only her daughter's-in-law, yeah. Her two daughters-in-law, which doesn't bode very well for trying to make a living, I would venture to say, in that time. So she decides she's going to go back to Bethlehem. Maybe she has some family there. In any case, the two daughters decide to come with her, and we get to the first major event, which is where Ruth betrays herself unto Naomi and says that she absolutely wants to go with her back into Bethlehem. And any thoughts on that or I thought that was a really interesting piece where she was like the language there was really interesting. I I almost thought it akin to like a wedding vow. Like I want to be with you like <laughs> it was just odd to me. Okay. See, this is the first time that I am happy that I'm reading this because I've always really liked Ruth. I like it because it's very much about women. Mm-hmm. And it's about women being nice to each other. And overall, it's a book about people being nice to each other and doing the right thing and behaving well and being rewarded for it. I'm cool with that. Can I say in the about women, I uh, I found a book called A Feminist Companion to Ruth. Have you seen that? Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. I have The Feminist Companion to Samuel as well. Uh, I, first of all, I can't believe how thick the feminist companion to Ruth was, given <laughs> that it's a couple pages you could fold in your pocket, the Book of Ruth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and I, I was, I looked at at least one of those essays to try to decode the part that I found most titillating, or perhaps I should say mysterious. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll get to that later. But yeah, there's a, a surprising uh, number of books on Ruth. A lot of exposition. Everyone's just <laughs> so nice to each other. And I, it I is. Just, it's good. It, it's a nice reprieve from the rest of the book. Yeah, nobody's exactly. getting like slaughtered. There's no like major genocides going on. It's kind of kind of right. a nice break from Joshua and Judges, and almost everything else. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we'll get right <laughs> back into that in Samuel. <laughs> yes. Now the, the Hebrews they don't get this break in their Bible. They, this is uh, filed away <clears throat> among the what is it the Kethuvim. Yeah, the writings. Yeah. That that was surely the original place. I think um <clears throat> in the Septuagint they placed it up forward chronologically. Those damn se- 70 elders in there. There's the first attempt at biblical revisionism right there when they put it in the Greek. Shall we continue? Yeah, I want to ask uh th- does it seem significant that Orpah kisses her mother-in-law but Ruth uh cleaves under her? Is it like, is it, you know, she kissed her goodbye, like it's a kiss goodbye, but... Yeah, she's bouncing. Yeah, that's just what you do. Yeah. It's like you kiss her, and that means goodbye. Mm-hmm. But Ruth just won't let go. She's, like, hugging onto her. Right. Ruth is very active. I mean, Ruth... Ruth is pretty cool for a Bible chick. She yeah, did, I mean, she's... I was going to say, she's giving up. I mean, essentially, she could go back to Moab and presumably has family and could find a husband and continue living there. So going into a foreign land as a partner to a widow, I think is 
I mean, obviously she has a great amount of affection for Ruth, and yeah, that's definitely it. It's what they call stepping out in faith in Christianese. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, they are. They're 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 taking a great risk here, going going back to this famine-stricken land with no men to support them. Well, at this point, as Providence would have it, the, Bethlehem is actually in the time of a barley harvest when they come back. So they, it, it's no longer in famine. They stay in in Moab for a while, obviously long enough for the sons to marry and and everything else. Right, right. And die. So, uh, I guess, I guess. Yeah, and die. Yes. <laughs> do they know that the famine's over? I guess. I mean, do they have like the Al Jazeera to tell them what's going on in different parts of the Middle East? <laughs> That's true. I, 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 yeah. That's true. They, they probably didn't. Well, we know they didn't have Al Jazeera, but <laughs> or whatever the, whatever the equivalent was back then. Right. I, I believe they had donkeys. Yeah. From if we recall from the last book that they attached things to and sent them off. Anyways, well, you could always attach fire to foxes. That too. Maybe that's where they got the browser name. <laughs> Or cut someone to p- into pieces and send them around. Right. That's yeah, very effective. Yeah. They do have, have couriers that are willing to cart body parts around, so they must have a pretty effective mail system. Knee mail. Knee mail? Okay, so go on. All right, so the two women get back to Bethlehem right in time for a barley harvest. They take part in the wonderful laws that we learned about previously in which the motherless and the window widowed and everything else can, uh, I believe the word is glean from the fields. Right. The uh, God's uh, welfare system. Right. So they can go and collect from the corners and things like that. And so I guess Ruth goes out and, and takes part and gets some food and meets a tall, dark stranger. Mm-hmm. So she makes it to this field that belongs to Boaz, who is very nice to her, and apparently the her love of her mother-in-law, the reputation of it has preceded them, and so he tells her that it's totally cool if he comes and gleans throughout his field. Oh yeah, baby, and- you can glean from my field anytime. <laughs> yeah. Well, he Don't even offers. <laughs> Sorry. He even offers the grain pile, doesn't he? One of the one of the piles of he even offers that to her, and that she can drink of the well. And so he's definitely like, yeah, go ahead. Tells his guys not to mess with her. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. definitely has an immediate connection there, I guess. If it's either she's physically attractive or he is has a lot of respect for her cleaving unto Ruth. Mm, yeah, I like that. That's a good spin. One of the, yeah, no, one he of seems the... like a straight up guy. Yeah, oh, I, I, yeah okay. <laughs> I, I, what do you like casting aspersions? Uh, I'm just a cynical sexist bastard. I, I assume that Boaz... Oh, that's right, I forgot. Yeah, Boaz has <laughs> ulterior motives like men do. Well, it's not like that, oh, and especially these men. I mean, these men don't have very good track records, so. Yeah. No, that's why, again, can I say again, I like this book. Because it's so different. Like, all the people are nice. I love your positive outlook. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely the nicest guy to come around 
since, I don't know, since Adam. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite quite a few. Uh, <laughs> hmm, I don't know, I kind of like Seth. There's nothing against Seth. Anyway. Jacob was okay. Yeah. There was probably a lot of spin on that story, but he was probably an alright guy. I, yeah, I'm sorry, I don't want to... I'm going to go into the other men. Uh, yeah, so, okay. So we have to explain this whole next kinsman thing. The Leverite Law? Or yeah. Is that you say? This isn't, Leverite this isn't, Law? This isn't precisely a Leverite marriage, but it's close. It's sort of a, you know, taking the next well, kinsman to, to be um, part of your family is, is a way to... Uh, save them from what otherwise is not going to be very good prospects. It was not strictly I, a Leverite thing because that would be your your brother's widow, right? Right. Well, I thought it was more to continue the line, the lineage of yeah. the family. If there wasn't any male heirs, that it had to do with that. And and I th- there was actually someone else who was supposed to. Like, Boaz was not actually the next in line. There was somebody else who was unnamed. Right. We'll yeah, the other that. guy. The, that... the, other, the other male relative. <laughs> With the sandal. Right. <laughs> and that's another loss from Deuteronomy. It, but it's slightly different. Yeah. It's, the, uh, you shall be called the unsandaled one. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> the harshest it's rebuke of... that I can think of, really, in Hebrew. The unsandaled one. But no, but... It is a, um, it is an Arab custom to throw your shoe when you don't like someone. I mean, it's probably no connection. Hmm. Well, speaking of feet, let's let's get to chapter three where there's some good foot action. Wait. So, th- this to me is is the central part of the chapter. It's, uh, what I refer to in my own mind as the uh, the seduction at the threshing room floor. <laughs> Where she's she's instructed. Her mother-in-law says, okay, look, here's the deal. Here's what you need to do. You need to wash yourself, take a bath, cover yourself in oil, because, you know, guys like women to be well-oiled. Put your best clothes on and get down to the threshing floor. Eh, but don't say anything yet. Don't show yourself. Wait till he's nice and drunk and well-fed and tired and addled. And then when he lies down, you, just, you, just, you look and see where he lies down. You go in. And you uncover his feet, some Hebrew expression, and you lay down. And he will tell you what to do. He will tell thee what thou shalt do. Uh, uh, Maybe I'm just a dirty-minded bastard. Maybe. No, no, I am undoubtedly a dirty-minded bastard, but this still looks like a seduction (laughs) to me. She gets all clean and oiled, and then she goes down there and she lies with him and uncovers his legs. Given that he's just wearing a cloak at this point. And in her in her garment, is, is he's like wearing a robe. You can't uncover his legs and not uncover his bits. You're uncovering the whole thing, the whole package. And then he'll tell you what uh. to do once you've uncovered it. Look, well, look at the ceiling and think about Israel. <laughs> is that what he's supposed to tell? I mean. Uh, Look, no, nothing happens, right? Uh, no, no. See, I'm I'm gonna try to make the case that something does happen, and here's here's the case. There's a triple double entendre here. <laughs> There's the double entendre of the 
uh, uncover his legs, which uh, some scholars have made the case that that's yet another Hebrew euphemism for genitals, like like we've seen elsewhere. Sure. And they swore an oath on put their hand on the thigh or whatever. Yeah, just just like that. They mm. you don't say naughty bits because apparently I guess they just didn't have a good Hebrew word for naughty bits, so they they euphemize around it. Okay, but she's lying at his feet. Like he must be really well hung. If it's not his feet, feet means penis. <laughs> Are you gonna edit that out? <laughs> okay, no. This is this is not me. This is Edward F. Campbell, like a serious Bible scholar, and he's saying by feet they probably mean genitals. Um, but how is that? What does that mean then? She goes in and she. What, are you saying she's going and she's straddling him? She goes and she opens his robe up. She opens up the robe, which uncovers his legs, his feet, and everything else. And he feels okay. a draft. And he feels a draft and wakes up surprised, which he did. <laughs> he woke up surprised. <laughs> right. And then here comes the, 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 next, the next double entendre. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid. <laughs> that could mean a few things. Uh, it could mean, you know, please spread your cloak of protection and... You know, your household over over me, or it could mean like literally. You know, I want to get in under your cloak here. Well, I mean, she okay, could have no, said that I... to him in the middle of the day, not at midnight. So if if she meant like uh, oh oh oh, oh household, yeah. then she could have said that in the middle of the day. You know, no one would have thought no, anything I... differently. Yeah, no, you're I, I I think you're right that she's offering him a little something something. Yeah, so who knows what what the something is? But uh, I could just say that she calls herself a handmaid. So and then <laughs> maybe she's just offering him a hand. Just give him a hand. Like hands across America. That's another euphemism. Yeah, but then I don't think. But but then he says we should we should sleep on this. Right, but sleeping together is the is the third double entendre, and it's the same <laughs> double entendre in English as it is in Hebrew. To say someone slept together. Could it could mean you just fell asleep on the couch, but most likely it's the euphemism. Well, my translation says, "So she lay at his feet till morning." Right. Rose before one man could recognize another. Then she ran out before anyone saw her. So she takes the walk of shame, is what you're saying? <laughs> well, okay. it is interesting that she's skulking off before anyone can recognize anyone. <laughs> With her hair kind of must. Yeah. Mascara running. And she gets stoned with stones if people saw her doing that. Yeah, it's... Yeah! Well, I'd run too. It seems to me like she's trying to persuade him to take her in as a wife, and she's doing, I I think, what a lot of fiancés have done to persuade men to take the leap of faith into into marriage. She's showing him how great it really can be to spend the night with her. Now, I I, I don't know. I'm not condemning. That seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to do in her position. So you think they do it? No, no, I think that she just offers him a hand. <laughs> I think a little reading of this is that she does some things, but not everything. I don't know. What, how do you guys read it? How do you how do you see it? I'm not completely opposed to that. I just... But I, don't know. I think what clinched it for me was the skirt, um, the, the fact that it's the same word for skirt that we saw earlier on in Deuteronomy, thou shalt not uncover thy father's skirt by doing these things to his wife. Mm-hmm. And where skirt is meant to, it's meant to cover up your sexuality. It's meant as a euphemism for, you know, what's going on under your under your robe. Okay. Yeah, that's true. 
you can't you can't read too much into the feet thing because that that particular construction of feet is too rare in the Bible. It only shows up in this book and in a totally different context in the book of Daniel. Oh really? Yeah, but the well that particular kind of you know there's an etym- etymologically related term for feet, but it, this one only shows up very rarely. Which means you can't read that much into it, I guess. But they, yeah. these these Bible guys have been known to euphemize their body parts. It's something they've done before. We've seen that. Anyway, Paul, do you have an opinion? Um, not particularly. I I initially thought somewhere that they probably at least you know made out or something. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it could be anything. It could be anything along that whole spectrum, yeah. couldn't it? <laughs> right. Well. If, he at least the threshing floor. The threshing floor was what? Where they? I mean, they're in the middle of a harvest. That's where they kind of go to. To you know, un- he's presumably staying there to protect the grain, and so he stayed. He's eaten. He's drank or whatever, and he's just going to kick it there. And yeah. so you know that that would be the place to go find him, I guess, during the harvest when he would presumably be alone. So and and that's I don't know I I guess it makes sense well, one one sorry about the her staying all night it could have been she did just want to propose to him and went and did that and slept at his feet and the reason why she stayed all night was I guess in that time period it could have been bad for women to been to have been traveling around at night like I could see where you wouldn't want to be traveling around late at night by yourself if you were a woman. Uh, and then the reason for leaving early is so that you don't tarnish your reputation or his reputation or so on. It's, it's because they weren't actually married and there was actually another, what's the word, kinsman redeemer or right. whatever that was lined up. So he, he didn't want to, either of them didn't want to mess that up really. It's clear so. that she is propositioning him, not propositioning, uh, proposing, sorry. Definitely. Dirty old bastard right, used right. the she's wrong word yet again. Yeah. Uh, she's proposing. There's definitely a proposal going yeah. on there. And yes. he's like, oh yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's get married. But let me first check and see if the other guy who's first in line is is up for it. Right. And so... They, see, sorry. No, that's... Do you want to finish? No, no, no. Well, I just, you know, I, I think that, that a lot of people might look at that and go, wow, that's really freaking romantic. But... I again, I like this that he's like yes I'm totally willing to to do that but we have to make sure that we follow the the rules that we have that we go through the proper channels because people are not doing this is not Hollywood people are not just saying oh we're still in love we want to we're going to run away together because it's completely impractical like how are they going to live if they piss off this guy who is, you know, presumably influential. And, I, I mean, I it doesn't bother me that this is not some big love story. I actually like watching people be rewarded for doing things the right way. Hmm. Wow. Rule follower, are you? <laughs> well, I, you know, no. no. I, don't, well, I don't see why it's not necessarily romantic. I mean, we only get a tiny portion of their dialogue. We know that they spent the whole night together, and we... And we're given several double entendres as to what they could possibly not have been doing. 
And, then, so, and, and comes- at the end of it, he says, well, don't tell anyone that a woman came to the threshing floor, which means, at the very least, he knows what they ought to have been doing. Threshing? Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what the kids are calling it these yeah. days? Mm-hmm. Plowing that heifer. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I, I like this. But, I mean, I think they, but you're right. They do, we see them talk to each other a little bit, and they, they do seem to like each other just fine. They respect each other, and so I think the kids are going to be all right. <laughs> he's he's an old man, right? He's not a young man. Yeah, but, but she, I hot. mean, look at her. She gets a great reward. She gets to be the, what is it, the great-grandmother of David? That's kind of a big deal. Yeah. I, I still get the sense that she's, uh, she's using her feminine wiles to seduce this guy, and I'm not saying I have a problem with that. No, but she's she's doing it the right way. I, I'm cool with that, but I don't like that she shows up as this hero in my little my daughter's little princess Bible that she got from my parents, which has all these biblical <laughs> women of faith in there. Uh, and they, you know, they I don't know. It's they take bowdlerization to a whole new level when they're presenting it to four year old girls. But well, I can't well, imagine. Now that you say that, yeah, you should all just be disturbed that there is a princess Bible. Google that princess Bible. Oh, God. <laughs> Well, there's not Yahweh's not not doing much in this book. Maybe that's why I like it. That, yeah, that's another. Well, it could be why no one's getting smited. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's, there's that whole controversy of over what happens on the threshing floor. Um, and if you want to read up on that, I would recommend Edward F. Campbell's uh, commentary on Ruth at page 121. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Oh, we got this much about Jonathan and David. Mm. Oh, yeah. Talk about mixed messages. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he sends her away with uh, six measures of barley, which is great. It's a lot of barley. <laughs> <laughs> what? You can make a lot of beer moses with that barley. Do they have oranges in the Middle East? Quebec. Uh, okay. I wonder. I wonder if the unnamed relative who gives her up kicks himself in the ass whenever. I guess he would probably be dead by the time David was born, huh? Yeah. <laughs> they probably unnamed him so his family wouldn't kick his ass. Yeah. Well, he never got to see her all, all washed up and oiled up, so he doesn't know what he's missing. Well, no, I mean, because he would have been David's, what, great-great-grandfather or great-grandfather? or See, so they, the, the family could have been royalty if he would have. Yeah. Yeah, so what is... Okay, we've all gone through this whole story, and we see that it ends in a, in a genealogy, which gets to David. What's What do you think is the point of this of this story? What's the moral of the story? From... From what I was taught in a Christian background, it was that even, like, if you're faithful and believe in God, even if you're an outsider, then you can be blessed. But I, I don't think that's, I don't know, I guess that's that's kind of in there, but I don't think that's the point, per se. I've heard stuff about being a, about leveret marriage, um... But I don't really know, um, because 
It definitely um, it makes a point about that, but it also makes points about um, about um, Ruth being David's great grandmother. But that couldn't be the main point of it. Yeah, that would seem to be kind of. I mean, would you really want your king Tangential. to be a Moabite? Right, exactly. But, to be um, descended from a Moabite. Yeah, you get the sense that Ruth is being rewarded for her faithfulness, and, right? And I guess it's her fa- it's her faithfulness to her mother-in-law, and and the fact that she was willing to give up the traditions and gods of Moab uh, for the sake of following the Lord. Yeah, and following and and really performing that following, like really following the rules. Well, there's not much about the Lord in here. No, I mean, I guess you could see it as. Hang in there, because at the beginning, it's like, oh, everything sucks, right? Everybody die, all the men die, and all that stuff. And so it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of a simple story, I think, in a way, about just hang in there and follow the rules, and eventually you'll get rewarded. And you may, it may be a couple of generations before the, before you really hit the jackpot. Oh, oh, yeah. You might have to go uncover some guy's skirt to really to get the jackpot in the first place but you know yeah girl does what she's got to do in the in the ancient world maybe the point is premarital sex is sometimes okay yeah Yeah, i like that let's go with that (laughs) if your mother-in-law tells you to or the everything but the it's not really okay if you know if it's just a little anyway it's okay to mess around isn't it isn't it kind of an anecdotal anecdote about you know just like you said earlier about I mean, the whole Bible is about uh, throwing away all your gods, these strange gods for the Lord, and, and and going into the society of of following the one true God. Right, and that's and, chapter one, verse sixteen. Yeah, and usually it's just a gloss people. over, and you know, we uh, they were following these these gods, and so the Lord sold them to somebody else, right? And so that was yeah, a punishment. But, but this is kind of like a we're we're really getting to know somebody here. Yeah, that's the um, that's the message of the Deuter- Deuteronomical um, editor, but Ruth is definitely later. Mm-hmm. It's okay. definitely because um, it was it's inserted back in the Deuteronomical histories, but it's not part of it. Yeah, but, um, it belongs all the way up with the Ketuvim, the whole other section of the Bible, isn't it? I just want to point out one interesting thing, the connection between Moab and David. Um, somewhere in 1 Samuel, past where we're going to cover today, if we ever get to 1 Samuel. Very soon. Um, um, he gives his parents to the king of Moab to like keep them safe. And it doesn't, like, it's never explained why he would do that. And so this could possibly in part be an explanation for his connection to Moab. Or maybe there's a tradition about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing that these tribes are much more closely related than we tend to think of them as. Oh, yeah. Uh, than the way that we... They're definitely, like, Semitic. Yeah. I mean, they, they speak each other's languages. They can converse when they meet. They might not be able to say shibboleth properly, but, you know. <laughs> All right, so you guys got anything else on Ruth? She's awesome. That's all I gotta say. Go Ruth. Yay, Team Ruth. Good to have good women in the Bible. Yeah. Yes. That's what Boaz said. Gotta take it where you get it. <laughs> That's, That's also, also what he what said. Boaz said. 
Okay. I promise I'm gonna get serious for the next book. The Oklahoma Atheist Godcast is produced by the Oklahoma Atheists. The mission of the Oklahoma Atheists is to develop a community of individuals and families who value and promote critical thinking, free thought, reason, and a scientific worldview, and who seek to have a positive effect on the community at large through fellowship, rational discussion, community service, and education. For more information, please visit our website at www.oklahomaatheist.com. The music for today's show is from the song God is Dead by Jaron Lake and is reproduced here under a Creative Commons license.